have your Bibles with you today. If not, it's fine. It's going to be on the screen. It'll be full screen for those of you at home. Uh, before I preach this message this morning, I want to say this is probably going to be uh, a little bit uh, different. It's probably uh, maybe a little bit more uh, of, of a teaching or maybe just uh, expository preaching, uh, which I don't normally do, just expounding on a passage of Scripture. But the Lord just really dropped this into my spirit um, this week, and uh, I, I believe it's very much for the day and the hour that we live in. So if you will stand with me all over the room, we're going to read the entire uh, chapter, which is only 12 verses of the second psalm. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And in my Bible, there's a header above this passage of Scripture that says, this psalm, written way before the time of Jesus, was about the Messiah, which was Jesus Christ, the Messiah's triumph and His kingdom. So let's read what the Word says in Psalms 2. Verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. What have we been praying since the beginning of the year? The prayer of Jabez. Bless us indeed. Enlarge our territory. He says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun capital S, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. The word that the Lord just dropped in my spirit for this week is God bless America again. We need him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your presence this morning. I ask that you would anoint these lips to speak your words, God, not my own. Let it not come forth, Lord, with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but let your word come forward today in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. Anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive. Stir the church, oh God, for our country and our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. When the colonists arrived on Virginia's shore in 1607 at the Chesapeake Bay, the first act of the 120 immigrants was to plant a wooden cross. I, I had never noticed the correlation in my life before to the fact that there was, when the church was born, how many were in the upper room? 120. When America was founded, the first act of how many immigrants? 120, was to plant a wooden cross in the ground and pray for God's blessing on this new land. This was the birth of America at Jamestown. 
William Penn, who was the founder of Pennsylvania, said this. If we are not governed by God, we will be ruled by tyrants. Let that sink in. John Quincy Adams said, The highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. Indissoluble means you can't, it can't be separated. It can't be dissolved. James Madison wrote this. We have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. That's what James Madison wrote. Our history as a nation is a holy history. It is not perfect, but it is a holy history. The very fingerprints of God can be seen in the formation and the foundation of the American dream. God speaks to nations and He calls them to seek Him and to worship Him as Lord. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And to turn from idols and to turn from their self-reliance. And then He will bless them. What did the psalmist say in Psalm 33 and verse 12? And guys, I didn't give you that one, but the psalmist said, Blessed is the nation, most of you can quote it, whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And in the opening verse of our text today, the psalmist poses an important question for our time. He said this in the opening passage of Scripture. Why do the nations rage? I've kind of asked myself that very same question lately. You might ask yourself, what motivates a nation to go astray from God and His Word? A nation that was founded on God and His Word. Psalm 2 was a royal psalm. It was connected with King David's coronation. And what Bible scholars refer to as a messianic psalm. Because it was prophetic. And it was fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah. Did you know that Psalm 2, and I did not realize this, is one of the most cited psalms by the writers of the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2 and verses, uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 31, the apostles, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write these down because I'm not going to put these on the screen. The apostles appealed to Psalm 2 in prayer. They asked God for intervention against persecution from Herod. They prayed again and asked God for prevention from persecution uh, by Pontius Pilate and intervention from persecution by the Romans. Then in Acts chapter 13 and verse 33, Paul applied Psalm 2 to Jesus' ministry, confirming Him as the Messiah. And then all the way in the end of the book, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15, we find that John the Revelator himself quoted verse 9 of Psalm 2 in his vision of the return of Jesus Christ. This prophetic psalm was inspired by the Holy Ghost and was written to foretell the kingdom of God versus the kingdoms of this world. It is so relevant to the climate and the culture of the world in which we find ourselves living in today. 
Point number one, would anybody agree with me today that we find ourselves living in a world of turmoil? Hello. I want to read again verses 1 through 3. They'll put those back on the screen for you. And we're going to expound on these a little bit. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Anybody been wondering if anybody's been plotting? Hello. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves against the rulers to take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Anybody read what just happened in California? Uh, The governor made a ruling that you cannot sing or speak out loud in church. Hello, somebody. I'm liable to make some people mad today, and that's not my goal, but I want to tell you something. The very I agree with Samuel Rodriguez, who tweeted this, and Jensen Franklin, whose post I shared on Facebook. The very definition of discrimination is telling thousands of people that they can scream while they burn and loot and destroy, but yet uh, without masks, while other people are forced to wear a mask and they cannot open their mouths, that means Catholics can't chant. That means Pentecostals can't exhort like Sister Karen did this morning. That means the people of God can't open their mouths and praise the Lord. I want to tell you something this morning. The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers are taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying verse 3 let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us turmoil our world is in turmoil the turmoil of the of the nations and the turmoil of our nation is caused by nothing short of rebellion and sin against God what did Isaiah say In Isaiah chapter 57, verses 19 through 21, let's look at that. He said, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. When waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Does verse 1 sound familiar this morning? The nation is raging and the people are plotting a vain thing. Their rage means that there is emotional reaction. But I want to tell you something this morning. They cannot form a plan nor do they have the ability to cast off God's reign. God is still in control. Their rebellion against God is pointless. It is incapable of producing any useful result. That's what pointless means. See, in in the ancient Near East, the kings considered themselves to be divine when this passage of Scripture was written. They rebelled against the one true God and against the anointed of the Lord. The goal of their rebellion was lordship, as it is today in our secular society. You see, we're living in a time that everybody wants a Savior, but most don't want a Lord. 
Everybody wants a Savior, but most don't want a Lord. But I'm here to tell you this morning, when it comes to Jesus Christ, you cannot separate the two. You can't have one and not the other. He won't just be your Savior. You can't say, I can do anything I want to do, but yet I'm saved. You can't say, I can act and behave any way I want to act and behave, but yet I'm saved and on my way to heaven. You see, the fruit of your lips will tell on who you are. Did you hear me this morning? The activities that you do will tell on who you are. There is a, we are living in a day, church, if I, if I know anything, I know this. We've got to get past wanting to be the most popular. We've got to get past wanting to pastor the largest of congregations because the, the majority of the people don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear something that makes them feel saved by a Savior and comfortable, but don't tell them anything about somebody being the Lord of their life. Don't tell them what they can and they can't do. I'm not talking about legalism and bondage. I'm talking about sin. Where is the church? that will stand up and say you can't have both if you love God you've got to let go of the world if you love the world you've got to let go of God but you cannot serve both their bonds and their cords in verse 3 that they're talking about are the laws of God I'm reminded of something else that the psalmist said In Psalms 119 and verse 126, he says, and I didn't give them that one, jot it down. It's time for you to act, O Lord. This this puzzled me, really, at the way the psalmist said it. He said, it's time for you to act, O Lord. Your law is being broken. How many times have you prayed like that? It's time for you to show up, God. This is getting way out of hand. See, We've come to the place in the church. I'm just going to tell it like it is this morning. I know, I know lots of folks watch us from lots of places, including our headquarters. I even know that our general overseer, and I love him, Dr. Tim Hill, watches us from time to time because he literally sent me a text the other day that said something about something I preached. Uh, but I'm going to say something right now, that, um, and it's, it's no uh, rebuke to any of our leadership or anything like that, but here's what I see. I see for the majority of the time, I see a church that is not praying and saying, it's time for you to act, O Lord, because your laws are being broken. I see a church that's making excuses for the sin of the world. I see a church that's compromising and saying it's okay to do that because you're hurt. No, it's not. I said, no, it's not. It's not okay. Yeah, there's a way for you to stand up for what is right without doing evil in order to do it. Hello, somebody. There is a way. We're living in the day where the Word said, there is a way that seemeth right to a man. If the church is not careful, the church will be following the way that seems like it's right to the man. But in the end thereof, the Word said, are the ways of death. We've got to get back to the place where we're not worried about man's opinion. I don't want to hurt anybody, but if the Word hurts, or if the Word offends, or if the Word cuts down, so be it. I've got to stand on the Word. I've got to stand for what God says. So does the church. 
So does the church. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, The yoke of God is blatantly thrown off. Think about that. But what did Jesus say in Matthew, 29, or Matthew 11, 29 and 30? He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what he went on to say? And if you do that, you'll find rest for your souls. This passage of scripture talked about that I read to you out of uh, Isaiah about unrest. The world is full of unrest. But Jesus said, when you take my yoke, you'll find rest for your souls. Isaiah said in Isaiah 48 and 18, he said that righteousness is what brings peace. See, ungodly rulers cause our world to live in turmoil. Proverbs 29 and 2, jot that one down, says... When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Let that sink in. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 7 that there would be nation that would rise up against nation in the last days before His return. And we are witnessing that turmoil on a global scale today. You know what the Bible also says? This stirred me this week. In both Revelations chapter 13 and chapter 17, it foretells that the Antichrist will rise out of a sea of turmoil. Hmm. That sea represents this restless world that we live in. Until Jesus returns, nations will rise up against nations. Nations will rise up against God. But when he returns, he will rule the nations with a rod of iron and with his scepter of righteousness, the Bible says. And then in Revelation 21 and 24, we find that the revelator, John the revelator, sees the kings of the earth bring their splendor into the new Jerusalem. So I think we all agree today that we live in a world filled with turmoil. But can I also tell you, as we expound on this next part of the passage, that God has a fail-proof plan. Anybody believe that this morning? Let's read verses 4 through 9. It says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then He shall speak to them in His wrath and distress them in His deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king, listen to what the Lord's saying, on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God laughs in verse 4 because His purpose prevails. Proverbs 19 and 21 tells us that many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 says that God works out everything, everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Psalms 138 and 8 says that the Lord will perfect that 
which concerns me. That's what the psalmist said. See, God laughs in the sense that he knows their end. God is unmoved with the political movement of nations and people in rebellion against his will. He's unmoved by all of that garbage. The God that you and I serve this morning is enthroned as Lord. I told you I was going to talk about this. The Hebrew word Adonai, which means ruler of the universe. God is large and in charge. Somebody says, you don't have to say it that way. Yeah, I kind of feel like the society that we live in, that's the way they get it. Because they think they're large and in charge. God is large and in charge. But God is also a mighty fortress for His people. What does the word say? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The the righteous run into it and they are safe. What are you talking about, Pastor? That means a, a strong tower. That means that not just any bomb's going to blow it up. Hello, somebody. Not just any attack is going to tear it down. Not just any plot or plan of the enemy is going to tear it down. As a matter of fact, there is nothing that can tear down the name of the Lord. We ought to be the church's covering. We ought to learn again the power in the name of Jesus. I said we ought to learn again the power in the name of Jesus. We're good at assembling ourselves together. We're good at singing and worshiping and having a service. But we're not so good at getting in our prayer closets and praying and saying, God, I'm asking you to do this in the name of Jesus. Why? Because he said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. There's power in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is a strong tower. The people of God don't have to hunker down down in fear. We can run to the name of Jesus and find shelter and safety every single time. God is a mighty fortress for His people. And although God is sovereign, He is graciously and patiently involved in bringing us to Himself. God speaks with words and acts But his anger also expresses his jealousy for his creation. I want us to look, and I did give them this one, Nahum chapter 1, five verses, verses 2 through 6. Look at what the word said. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversary. And he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And watch this. Will not at all acquit the wicked. You know what it means to be acquitted in a court of law? It means to be discharged, let go, charges dropped, it's over. The word says he will not. Acquit the wicked. You know, when we used to sing out of the Redback Hymnal a lot, I never heard anybody sing it, but I always remember there was a song in the old Redback Hymnal. The title of it was You Can't Do Wrong and Get By. Anybody ever seen that one? I've never heard it sung. I just always saw it in there. You can't do wrong and get by. That's what this verse reminded me of. He will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. 
and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. His anger is intended to bring nations to repentance and salvation. I want to go back to verse 4 in our main text one more time. It says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Can I tell you this morning that we also, first of all, about laughter, one of the first things that came to me, although this verse puzzled me a little bit, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but we need to learn to laugh with spiritual joy because we have an eternal hope. Some things ought to be laughter to us, not because they're funny, but because people are funny enough to think that they can outsmart God. That in and of itself is spiritually funny. We ought to be able to laugh. What does Proverbs say? Proverbs 17 and 22. Laughter is medicine to the soul. True joy comes from having an an eternal perspective that Jesus, our Messiah, will come and His Revelation 11 and 15 says that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and He will reign, what's it say? Forever and ever. Verse 4 though is something to ponder. I I can't help but I, I begin to think about that. God is laughing and God is holding The craziness of this world in derision. I thought I knew what derision meant, and I did, but I looked it up. And what derision, the definition of derision in Webster's Dictionary is contemptuous ridicule or mockery. Think about that. Contemptuous ridicule or mockery. So God is laughing, and He's holding the evil, wicked people in derision. Contemptuous, ridicule, and mockery. What are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I'm saying. You mark this down. God is not fooled. And God will not be made a fool. Now, with that said, here it goes. I've had enough. Sweet and bitter water cannot flow from the same fountain. I am fed up to here with hearing Christians, Christians tell people that one thing is wrong, but we're not going to address another thing. You know where I'm going. I'm fed up to here with it. God's not fooled, honey. Honey, I didn't mean to call you honey. I'm sorry. God's not fooled, and He won't be made a fool. If one thing is wrong, both things are wrong. If it's wrong to, here I go, murder a grown man, it is wrong to murder an unborn baby. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you think about what I just said. I'm fed up to hear with Christian people saying, oh, you ought to avoid that. Oh, don't address that. 
Oh, don't touch that. No, no, this is wrong. Oh, this is injustice. Oh, we need to seek stuff for this. And then I'm talking about leaders even in our movement that won't address that, won't talk about it, but they'll get out here and cry for justice and cry for all this. I got one thing to say to you this morning. God is not fooled and he will not be made a fool. What's wrong is wrong and what's right is right and the truth will stand when the world's on fire. You cannot fool God. If you're going to stand for right, you've got to stand for right. And I'm going to say it, oh, God help me this morning. You better stand for it when you get in the voting booth. Yes, I did say it. Somebody says, oh, pastor, please don't get political. I'm not getting political. I'm getting Christian. I'm not getting political. I'm getting biblical. Did you hear your pastor this morning? You have a responsibility as a child of God to stand for God's word. That's period. Point blank, period. Are you mad? No, I'm not mad. Yeah, I am mad. I'm mad at the devil. I'm mad at the devil for deceiving Christian people. I'm mad at the devil for confusing my own children at times. Hello. I'm mad at the devil because they get, I'm mad at the devil for confusing our youth of this generation. Somebody's got to stand up and tell them right is right and wrong is wrong and you cannot stand for one and not stand for the other. And I could get into a whole lot of other things besides that one issue that that applies to, but I'm going to move on. Somebody said, praise the Lord. He's going to move on. God's purpose will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. He is anointed and appointed by God as the Lord of all. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28. And in this passage of Scripture in Psalm 2, the incarnation of Jesus is in view revealing that He is indeed the Son of God. Jot down Hebrews 1 and 1 through 4. I don't have time to read it, but it'll confirm that for you. It blew my mind the number of references there are to Psalm 2 all throughout the New Testament. His inheritance will be the nations of the world when he returns at the end of the age as King of Kings. Psalm 37, 11, Matthew 24, 14, Matthew 28, 19. Everybody knows what that one is. The psalmist said the Lord will rule with an iron scepter or a rod of iron. When Jesus returns, think about this. When Jesus returns, there will be peace prosperity, and stability. Boy, don't that sound good. When we pray, thy kingdom come. How did Jesus tell us to pray? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Thy kingdom come. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're looking and praying for his return. When Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, I know there's been a lot of talk about Abe lately. When Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in 1865, I read this and I thought, how interesting. I don't think I've ever read this before, even in all the things. I've read a lot about Abraham Lincoln. We all do in school, the Emancipation Proclamation and all that. But when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in 1865, the nation went into mourning. There was confusion despair, and hopelessness. I thought, boy, our nation sounds the same way today. Confusion, despair, and on some fronts, we feel hopeless. Let's just be honest about it. In New York City, there was a large crowd that gathered to express the loss of their great leader and the concern about the future. And suddenly, 
a man climbed up the stairs of a building where he could see and look over the crowd and he shouted with a loud voice. Think about this. The Lord reigns over Washington. They said three times he shouted. The Lord reigns over Washington. The Lord reigns over Washington. And after the third time it said the people grew silent because the meaning of his words reassured them. And slowly they began to disperse and go about their business. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, the Lord still reigns over America. The Lord still reigns over Kentucky. The Lord still reigns over Corbin and the Tri-County area. At the end of the day, the Lord still reigns. Say amen, somebody. The last part, the last part of the passage, and I'm done. Verses 10 through 12. This is a word to the wise. Here's what it says. Verse 10. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in in him preaching God bless America again let me hit this and I'm going to close this passage of scripture first of all instructs us to be wise if you're jotting them down here's another one for you proverbs 9 and 10 tells us the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom fear hmm. pastor God is a God of love. God would not send somebody to hell because they were living in sin. He's a God of love. Yes, He is a God of love. But He's also a just God. And the fear has left the church. On a worldwide level, the fear has left the church. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God's wisdom is greater than ours. His ways and His thoughts are higher than ours. Joshua 1 and 8. If we consult and follow the wisdom of God's word found in Scripture, we'll make our way prosperous, is what Joshua said, and we'll have good success. So be wise. We need the fear back. We don't need to fear the devil, but we need to fear the Lord. We've preached no fear so long that we don't fear either one of them. But we better fear the Lord. We need the fear back. Be wise. Secondly, be instructed. Another translation said it this way. Be warned. Anybody ever remember? I, I mean, I, I tried to think about it. I don't know that we've actually had a time in this church in eight years. By the way, we're celebrating eight years next week. We won't be celebrating it the way we normally do, but we'll celebrate it nonetheless in worship services. But in eight years, I don't really know that I remember a time other than I specifically remember when we first began at the Civic Center one service where the Holy Ghost literally spoke a warning to somebody who got saved, rededicated their life to the Lord that day. I don't really remember. But how many remembers the times, let's put it like this, in the old church, and we need it back, when you heard the Spirit of the Lord give out a warning? How many remembers that? Yeah, I'm talk, you want to talk about fear. That'll put some fear on you. 
I mean, I remember sitting in services when I come to church, didn't think I'd done a thing wrong all week, and then I'm sitting there going, oh, God, is it me? I mean, seriously. You want to talk about fear? That's why we don't have fear in the church anymore. We don't warn. We don't warn. We don't instruct. This passage says, be instructed or warn. What does warn mean? Warn means to admonish, to caution, or to teach. Warnings are usually in our best interest. Think about this. In a construction zone, we put up warning signs to protect people from injury. We line our roads with yellow signs to warn people. Listen, church, we need to be aware of the cause and effect relationship of sin. Hello. We need to be aware. Noah, the Bible said, when warned, he built the ark. It was warning that motivated action. Uh, Read Hebrews 11 and 7. It was a warning when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his message. I have a dream. On August the 28th, 1963, and he called our nation to love, to unity, and to reconciliation, and warning us of the sin of racism. Yes, racism is a sin on either side. Hello, somebody. Racism is a sin, not just black and white. I'm talking about Indian, Muslim, hello, or any other Chinese, whatever. I mean, racism exists on a whole lot of more levels than just black and white. Hello. It's all a sin. We ought to call the church back to uh, repentance of the sin of racism. We ought to warn, but there's a lot of other warnings we ought to be giving out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My God, where did we ever get to the place where it's okay to drink it up in the honky-tonk on Saturday night? Oh, yeah. I ain't going to need two services in the new sanctuary if I keep this up, am I? Where in the world did it become okay to drink it up on Saturday night and praise it up on Sunday morning? Sweet and bitter can't flow from the same fountain. Either going to love one or the other. I'm about done. President Abraham Lincoln, again. I want just want to read to you what he said. Issued a call to prayer in national humility on March the 30th, 1863. I'm going to read it quickly. Here's what he said. It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God. To confess their sins. The leader, our president of the country at the time, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that the genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history. Those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have grown in numbers, we have grown in wealth, and we have grown in power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power. To confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. What are you talking about, Pastor? Be warned. Be instructed. It also says in this passage to be serving. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Can I just tell you this morning, we were created for His service. We were all created for His service. 
If men and women could grasp that, how different this world would be. Our very purpose for existing is to serve the Lord. If we could just grasp that. And it's not until we, re- we view Him as our Lord, not just our Savior, that our godly fear of who He is causes us to surrender our lives to His service. And lastly, be worshipful. I did kind of ponder the kiss the sun passage in this scripture. I read every commentary there was on that because I just thought that kind of sounded weird. Kind of like the version of whatever that one song is that there's two versions of the lyrics and one of them says when heaven greets earth with a sloppy wet kiss. Oh yeah, oh how he loves. Yeah, that one. I always kind of thought, ooh. I mean, just being honest. So I think... We've sung both lyrics. I think we've sung it both ways. But I felt the same way about this verse. I was like, what is that? So then I looked as I read commentary. Here's what I found. The word kiss in this passage, you know what it means? Mm, I'm glad I looked it up. It means worship. That's what the word means, worship. See, the church sets the spiritual tone for the nation. The church, not this church. The church, not the church of God. The worldwide church church sets the spiritual tone for the nation. The key to blessing is this. Take refuge in the Lord. Worship is expressing our faith, our dependency, and our trust on God. Let me tell you something this morning. The world's not coming to a church that's not worshiping. They won't stay. They may come, but they won't stay. But you let them find an atmosphere where the church is worshipfully surrendered to the Lord and it will draw them in and keep them there. As they come to the music this morning, I'm going to close. I want to share with you a poem. It was written by a lady. I have no clue who she is. I really couldn't find anything much. I found this poem. I couldn't find anything else really about her on the internet. So maybe somebody else knows. Karen did a lot of... uh, um, Literacy and all that stuff in in high school, so maybe she knows. But her name is Ruth Ann Messer. But she wrote a poem that she titled Messner. I'm sorry, not Messer. Ruth Ann Messner. A poem titled Native Land. Just listen to what she said. I heard you planning, America. You told men to worship God and love the freedom he had won. I saw you working, America. You built a nation east to west. Gave man pride in what he'd done. I saw you growing, America. Man unlimited, boundaries bulged, cities reaching toward the sky. I heard you laughing, America. A land rich and fat, strong and sure, blessed indeed by God on high. I felt you groping, America. Must we have laws to make men love each other? Where freedom reigns. I heard you weeping, America. Your streets savaged. This spoke to me. Your cities shamed. This was written years ago. And precious few are freedom's gains. Oh God, bless America. If you'll stand with me all over the house this morning. This weekend is a time, as you know, to celebrate our freedom. Thank God for our freedom. But at the same time, it's a time for the church to see and recognize the spiritual bondage 
that exist all around us. Plainly put, we need God. We need God. Simply put, as a city, as a state, as a nation, we need God. We need God back in our schools. We need God back in our government buildings. We need God back in this nation that is politically free but spiritually bound. Hello. We need God. But before we can accomplish any of that, we need God back in our churches. But before we can even accomplish that, we need God back in our homes. Verse 8 of our main text today, and that's what I'm going to close on and focus on, made us a promise, and I believe it's a word from the Lord to America. Verse 8 of Psalm 2. Here's what it says. It says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. But there's a vital key to that promise. It's the first word. Ask. We have to ask. Just leave that on the screen, please. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, there's that condition again, we have to ask. We started out this year praying the prayer of Jabez, and we've seen God do some amazing things. That prayer says, oh, that you would bless us indeed and enlarge our territory. Here it is in verse 8. We've been asking God to do it. What did he say? He said, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. We've been doing the position series. I was this close to titling this message, Position for Possession. You know what the position is? The 20 inches between your knees and the floor. That's the position where we're willing to get down on our knees and ask God. So I'm just going to ask you this morning, and we're going to pray as they sing, will you ask Him for your family? Will you ask Him for your city, for your community? Will you ask Him for that school that your children attend? Or will you ask Him for that place of employment that you go to every day? Will you ask Him for the lost all around you? Will you ask Him for yourself? He wants to save. He wants to heal. He wants to deliver. He wants to restore. He wants to revive His church. He wants to bless. He wants to enlarge. But we have to ask. So if you want to come to the altar this morning, it's open. And if you want to pray, it's your seat. But I want to ask you if you will, if you're willing to ask, find you a place and close that 20-inch gap between your knees and the floor. And let's get down and ask him.